Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. One of the most recurrent challenges for organizations is about creating a culture of learning. Unfortunately, the way we learn in corporates hasn't changed much. It is boring, unpractical, not in line with agility of business, not inspiring. And by the way, there is at least 12 per- 12% of people that remembers what they learn when they go to a training. After the training, after one month, if you ask them, only 12% will remember what the topic was about. And and the key question is, there must be some other options to create a culture of learning. Now, the interesting thing is that not so long time ago, I had the chance to listen, to view a TED talk done by Brian Gipkowski, which is our guest today. And I found it quite inspiring, the fact that on top of Every year we have like different trends in terms of learnings saying we need to put more uh, weight into emotional intelligence on the way we interact, we motivate people. And the idea of transitioning from this formatting that we have from listening uh, or asking questions towards answering questions in the right way so that it can become like a source of inspiration, like a source of learning, which is something that we also ask from leaders today. It was quite, quite interesting. So let me tell you a little bit more about Brian. Dr. Brian Glikowski is an author, researcher, and futurist passionate about the role of questions and answers. Think about it. In business and society, it is encouraged to learn how to formulate great questions and not often we get to learn a process on how to answer these questions. He has a great book called The uh, Answer Intelligence, Raise Your AQ, where Dr. Brian introduces us to new the new science of answers. So he has developed an AQ framework that has been adopted by universities, including the famous Imperial College of London and different, different other organizations. And Brian, thank you very much for being with us today. And I wanted to ask you one simple question is, how did you get this interest interest in terms of how the brain processes information, behavioral science, the organizational uh, development, from where did it start? Uh, First of all, Ivan, thank you for uh, hosting me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, That's a a grand tour question to start with. you know, I'll sort of zero in on something specific. You know, I, like you, have sort of been interested in learning and this introduction you went through about how we learn and do it more effectively. And I was looking at this process when I was a professor. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's about learning and teaching. And I, I noticed some gaps. I felt like I had a lot to say and communicate, and it wasn't being understood. 
And, and it was frustrating because I was trying my best to do this. And I think other professionals experience the same thing when you're in learning development, sharing information, or if you're just communicating in sales or uh, coaching someone, whatever it might be. So there's this frustration. And I conducted research on this with um, the top golf instructors in the world, which we can get into if you want to. But if I could just set this up for you very simply, what I discovered was that I think the best way to describe this is that we all know an effective conversation. You know, let's think about a conversation you had with your son or daughter, or maybe you were out on a date. What does that conversation look like? It tends to be balanced. Both sides are speaking and it tends to involve questions and answers. That's what a conversation is. It's an exchange. So if you take this sort of intuitive understanding that, wow, a conversation with a friend is great. Now imagine if you transform that to the learning domain and we've done that. So it becomes asking and answering questions about any topic. So imagine you're trying to learn negotiations. There's some basic questions. What is negotiations? Why should we negotiate? How do we negotiate? And there's six answer types in my framework that connect to those questions. And when you provide those answers, it's sort of this satisfying experience. And this became this framework, this operating system to be more effective. So when I was trying to be more effective in the classroom, I'd connect it back to this question and answer exchange. Let me pause there for a second to, to let you um, ask a follow-up question about that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. <laughs> Great. Brian, the sad thing is that the same frustration that you had as a professor, I remember back in my days in corporate that I had it on the, on the fact that when I was asking for support in terms of this learning experience, every year there was a continuous repetition of the same topics exactly the same topic so one person could have been three times in the same type of trainings and the sad thing is that you you don't see it reflected in terms of of, of the behaviors that you want to change because in corporations what we want is not that you acquire a hell of a lot of knowledge it is more about that whatever they learn is transforming into behaviors in order to drive the culture in order to drive productivity at uh, at work and that doesn't change and the methodology as such of, of learning didn't change much during the, the during the year. So I, I still remember that I tried to investigate about when was the, the, the time that the, I remember that it was managing for the first time a training for early uh, managers, of uh, people's managers. And it was like 25 years ago. Can you imagine that we are still repeating the same the same topic? So my belief is that learning and development has been very traditional, very conservative on on on, on the evolution on how, the way we we learn. And I wanted to have your opinion, especially specifically about that. What is your take in the flows of the current learning model, specifically for corporations, the way people learn in corporations? What do you think is what is missing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it goes back to this understanding of conversations. We, when we're presenting information, we're not thinking of it as a exchange of information, as a dialogue. 
we're, we're, we're disengaged from basic questions. So if we're doing a training on leadership, you know, we're asking questions like, what is leadership? And in my framework, you can provide a concept or a metaphor. So for example, if you ask me, what is leadership? I could say leadership is inspiring others and holding them accountable. That's a part of a concept answer. Yeah, exactly. Or, and, or I could say as a metaphor, uh, leadership is like two ropes. When the ropes are separate, they're strong. When they're braided together, they're stronger. That's how I lead. Each each meeting, I'm going to try to inspire and hold you accountable. Now, this is getting at real questions. What is leadership? Emerging leaders might have this question. Real answers. And then you take th th that what question, and then there's other questions like, how do I lead? And you know that's procedures and actions. You know That's sort of getting down to things that you talk about with your company among other things. Um, and then there's why do we lead, you know, theory and story. And each of these answer types, you know, relates to different questions. And I think simply put, we, we don't have, you know, a real clear sense of this framework and what conversations are. So we're sort of on autopilot. And I'll say I was the same way. When I was teaching as a professor, I was very focused on why questions, you know, so before I knew about answer intelligence. So I would be focused on theories and concepts. And, you know, I was pretty good at stories, you know, and I did some things very well. But one question I completely abdicated was the how question. Like, how do you, in my case, I taught classes like leadership and negotiations. You know, how do you negotiate? How do you lead? And I never provided the students with these answers. And I was the professor that didn't have a textbook. I wasn't trying to withhold information. I just didn't have this understanding in my head that we have to ask and answer all the questions. So when you bring that to the forefront, it allows you to be more impactful, allows you to engage fully. So, you know, this is, you know, so to answer your question concisely, I think the problem is we're missing a framework on questions and answers. And absent that, we just sort of meander around when we have the framework. We can be more precise. We can be more direct and influential. And I think that's helped me as a communicator and it's helped, you know, a lot of our partners around the world to be more effective. I don't know. I'm a little bit critical about the situation of, of, of learning. And in, in principle, it is because I have the impression that most of trainers do not have this capacity to understand what can reduce the friction in our brain in order to either adopt new behaviors or either about acquisition of, of knowledge. So, and what I find quite interesting is that in your TED talk, you mentioned this imbalance between we are trained or formatted in order to ask questions because it is also a good way to, to formulate, to generate like uh, interest, curiosity, and to find our own ways of doing things. But at one moment, we also need to just learn a way. And it is very difficult to explain. Like, and, and with, you see it, I'm pretty sure in academics, there is a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, but they simply don't know how to explain anything. I still remember my days in the university. Oh my God, people with prizes in science and whatever, and suddenly, they couldn't explain in a, in, a, in a way that was relatable and more balanced. And when I say balance, in the use of our brain, because our brain is not only the rational side who understands concepts, as you said, but it, there is a, the, the part that is irrational that 
In fact, it's most of our brain, the one with the gut feelings, that needs to be also awakened in order to have really real, the real immersion in learning, right? That's that's the dream come true. And yeah. I wanted to ask you a, a little bit more about uh, the uh, this imbalance. Why, why it is important, in fact, to be balanced between the the fact that we need to learn about questioning but also we need to know how to have a process to deploy an answer why is yeah. that important yeah so now think about this if you in, in sales and in coaching we have in interviews we are trained to think about questions and going back to grade school we learned the six wh questions open and close questions so if you have a job interview you're going to think about questions they're going to ask they're going to say, you know, how can you lead us? You know, what's your number one skill? And we're completely comfortable thinking about the questions because we know that helps you prepare. But the other side is the answers. You, you need to prepare for the specific answers that you can provide to these questions. So right now, they're absent my research. There's no framework of answers. You know, if I said, how many answer types are there? You can Google this. Absent my work, you're not going to find up a framework. But if you know there's six answer types, you can prepare to provide those answers. So if you want to ask influential questions, great, be prepared for that. We know that, but you need to be able to provide influential answers. Think of this uh, thought experiment. Um, you know, if you're selling, you know, the, the buyers can ask questions like, why should I buy from you? you know, what is your solution? How do we work with you? You need to provide answers that are going to really respond effectively because that's how you influence. So the imbalance starts with not focusing critically on answers as much as questions. We want to do both. You know, imagine if you had a conversation going back to dinner where you asked every single question or the other party asked every single question. You know, it, it's imbalanced. It's going to feel awkward. And it's like an interrogation at the mm. extreme. You want balance. Both, both parties speak equally. Both parties do questions and answers. Then on top of that, even if we're open to answers, if we reflect on our ability to provide them, there's imbalances there. So, you know, maybe you're really good at telling stories, but can you provide a procedure or an action? You know, it's, you know, which, which answer types are we comfortable with? So the idea is to be, you know, balanced in questions and answers, balanced in your ability to provide each of the answers. And when you do this, you're an effective conversationalist. You're someone you want to go to dinner with. And you're going to be effective in any area of life that you choose, leadership, sales, and other domains. And that's the basic idea. And the problem, you know, to summarize this is, why are we imbalanced? It starts with ignorance. You know, imagine, you know, you need the letters of the alphabet to for form words and sentences and paragraphs. You need to understand the types of questions to ask questions and do it systematically. Same thing for answers. If we don't have a framework of answers, how can we expect someone to systematically provide answers and be balanced? So the reality is that's been missing. The first step is awareness, and then it's you know knowledge and application, and then you can become more effective. It's almost like a conversion funnel, in fact, that 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 you have de developed. Indeed, you, when you mentioned awareness, <clears throat> that made me think about conversion funnel. Um, now, what I understood that is that AQ is, which is the answer intelligence, seems a little bit like a mental process, a 
we can call it also a meta skill that leaders can use to teach, communicate, and kind of motivate their teams. And I would like to understand a little bit more, how does it work? What, what is the concept be, behind AQ? And by the way, there is not so many people who have done research about the topic because I was trying to compare how, how your model com compares to others. So that's why it, it, it became super interesting, the, the angle. So how does it work, this uh, AQ model? Yeah, so AQ, it's interesting. You've asked some questions, some some what questions. What is AQ? How does it work? Which I can respond in my own framework, so to, so to speak. But really what AQ is, is it, it starts with a belief that questions and answers are central to conversations. And so then you have to start thinking in those terms. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's talk about active listening. So we can think about you know conventional approaches towards communication and then look at those through AQ terms. So um, let me tell you a little story. So, um, and I'll roundabout get to active listening. So in the eighties, um, sports psychologists were really first coming onto the forefront. And for example, in tennis, they would tell someone when the ball comes, you know, when someone hits a ball at you, you, you say racket. When it goes over the net, you say, you know, net. And when it hits the ground, you say bounce. And what that is, it relates to active listening. And we prepare ourselves to do the next step, to interact with the ball and be intentional with our responses. Now, think of that same logic of intentionality in conversations. So when you're sitting in a meeting, in AQ terms, you want to listen for questions and answers. So now if I hear a question where someone says, you know, you know, what's our go-to-market approach or how are we going to implement this? These are cues, active listening for the type of answers that we could respond with. So if someone says, what's our go-to-market approach? I could define it as a concept. I could give you a metaphor. How are we going to implement this? I could explain it as a procedure or and or an action. So active listening is being prepared for question and answer responses. And this is very different than how a lot of people think of active listening, where you just sort of zone into someone and don't think about anything else. No, active, linking, active listening is participating in the conversation by being aware of questions and answers in AQ terms. Now, that's a general application of AQ. Now, to give you a specific answer, you ask, what is AQ? Just a role model this. I, I'll, I could define it as a concept. AQ is the ability to provide elevated answers to important questions to influence others. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can give you a metaphor. You know, there's many metaphors I could give, but I could say AQ is like a target. Imagine if you had no target to aim at, how are you going to possibly hit the bullseye? So AQ is a framework that gives you six answers to aim at so that you can hit the bullseye with your answers to influence others. So you know, that, you know, is an answer for the what question, you know, I can go on with the how and why, but I think you get the idea. It, it seems to me that because you're bouncing from something that is a little bit more conceptual, rational, and this, and activating the other side of the brain, which is a little bit more gut feelings. So, and by doing that, you are, it's almost like increasing your visibility somehow because you are activating two parts of the brain and the more connections we have in the brain, the more we have chances that this is going to be a store retained with emotions, with visuals, with feelings, with insights that are 
uh, that are proper for, to the individual. So it seems like a good way to anchor ideas, concepts, or messages to people. And indeed, now that you mentioned, that could be quite useful in sales. Okay, we will yeah. talk about other uses, yes. Well, let me just amplify that briefly and use this opportunity to introduce, you know, the research that we did was originally with the top golf instructors in the world. And we found out basically how they provided answers. And from that, we extracted these high AQ practices. And one of them is answer twice. So you answer important why, what, and how questions twice to, to appeal to the left and right side of the brain, to the logical and emotional side of the brain. And in like we've already talked about, you know, when I gave my definition of AQ, that's logical as a concept, the metaphor is emotional. And you can answer any question, why, what, or how twice. And again, to appeal to both sides of the brain, you know, and do you always answer twice? No, you answer twice for emphasis, but you know, you want to use it sparingly and use it with command. Cause if you answer twice every single time, that might be a little draining, right? But you know, this is one of the high AQ practices and you use them all in combination allows you to be influential, allows you to be dynamic. It allows you to have a great conversation with someone. <laughs> Uh, Brian, so I'm a big fan of micro habits, like uh, as a way like to reduce the friction in my brain for big changes. So I'm practicing something new, and so and I wanted to to know is there is there a way to create micro habits in order to practice uh, the framework of AQ? Uh, something that I can do like in five minutes every day and repetitively, so that it becomes like a I reflex instead of using it when I should, and I don't know how to structure it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mention two things, and and uh, you know, there's more to it than this, and you probably have some great insights into AQ and and micro habits. It'd be interesting your thoughts on after I give my two uh, give two examples. You know, one I'll just double down on something we already said. One micro habit is active listening. So you want to specifically listen for questions and say, what is my response going to be? And active listening means that sometimes people are not going to verbalize their question. So if I'm sitting here with my arms crossed and kind of, you know, sort of grumpy, you <laughs> might know if you're selling something to me that I want to know why I should buy from you. You know, I have a fundamental why question. So the questions can be verbalized. They can be nonverbal. And you have to you know, transform them into what, why, or how questions in AQ terms. And when you hear that question, then you think of the answer you're going to respond. So I think that's a micro habit. The second thing you could do is sort of a mind exercise. You can transform any given answer into another answer. So if you told me the story of Romeo and Juliet, I could transform this into other answers. I could say as a metaphor, it's like star-crossed lovers. So what you can do is take any, is a little mind game. You can take any answer and say, can I transform that story into a procedure of how I would lead a meeting? Can I transform that concept into an action? And it allows you to mentally engage and have fun with it. Because ultimately, if you're an expert at something, if you know something very well, you know it in all six answers. So that's, those are two ways you can sort of play with the framework to begin to internalize AQ and, so those are two thoughts. I'd be curious if you have some some ideas of how this could be applied in, in micro learning as well. So I'll you know, turn it back to you. I don't know if you have a thought. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Brian, I really, I, I like these two examples that, that you have mentioned. Now, something that is 
it, in fact, it's quite a kind of a repetition of, of, of things that I, I always tell people is that because it worked for me, like when I wake up in the morning, the, the thing that I, I, I need to define is what is, what is my intention of the day. So, mm. and I have like waves, like for a long time, for instance, specifically, that's super specific about me. I'm someone who is a little bit nervous, stressed, stressed. So I had to make intentions that are related about how do I monitor that my level of stress doesn't go bananas. The same, in the same way that like when I have waves that when I launched my business, I needed to learn quite a lot of things, new things about the digital world that I didn't know enough, even though as an ex-engineer, I, I thought I know everything. Real life example, it was nothing. So it's about creating recurrent intentions that to, today or every day in this week, I'm going to be be mindful about using a specific part of the framework. So slicing the framework into, into parts. So I need to be, to be able to transform metaphors. Whatever language, whatever thing that comes to me, I'm going to be able to transform it into a metaphor in order to explain it in a different way than the person who told me the uh, uh, a concept, for instance. So, and the regular practice makes it every time a little bit easier. In any case, that works for me, that works for a, a, a couple of people. Is the, But sometimes it is very difficult to understand the concept that the effort that you need to devote is in, the, in making it consistently rather than with intensity, because if you do it for two minutes, just listening to one of the sentences that you did, that you did and transform it into, into a metaphor, it's already a, something that will take me two minutes. And if I do it during five days, my brain is already being capable of transforming information in a quicker manner without friction, without when I'm going to lose the motivation, I'm not capable of doing it any, or I don't have time to, to do it. That's yeah. the only thing that I, I would have to add to the, uh, to the two things that that uh, that you mentioned before. Um, yeah. Brian. I wonder if I could comment on, on some of those, you know, very interesting. So, you know, a couple things just in response to what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely right. So sort of there's this practicing and using, you know, a couple things sort of rapid fire. I think AQ is like basketball or a sport, you know, you dribble left hand, right hand, you pass, you shoot. That's like the five high IQ practices. You try it a little bit and all of a sudden you become comfortable, you become fluent and you're doing all of that. And it becomes, it's easier than you think. Um, maybe I just give you then an, an example of AQ in the aviation world. And, and I think you, you appreciate this related to habits. It's when you're flying, and this is from one of our partners, we have a couple of partners at the intersection of aviation and AQ. And Give you an example sort of uh if you're flying a plane you need all these answers and you need to be trained on these answers and you have to internalize them and i think what, some of what you're talking about is make them second nature so take a concept like safety so we have to define what safety is we have to be able to break it down into dimensions because one person's view of safety is going to be different from someone else's then we need to internalize safety by developing stories for ourselves that reinforce the importance of safety as a concept. So for example, one of, our, one of our AQ partners, he told me a story about safety where the first time, one of the first times he went up to learn to fly a plane, the instructor shut off the engines. 
And he had to be calm, which is a concept maybe to remind yourself about safety. And in that moment, he was calm, he was safe and allowed him to focus and he, you know, finished flying the plane. So that's a story to reinforce safety and calm. And you need the stories to reinforce. You can develop metaphors. Now applying this in real time, you have procedures of safety. And those are great, all the steps. But this person I talked to, one of our partners, told me a story about Sully Sullivan who landed the plane on the Hudson River. And he knew all these answers. But just to sort of bring them together concisely, it wasn't the procedural answers in real time because, you know, the playbook and everything of how to land a, land a plane when the engines go out and you're landing in water, there weren't procedures. You know, he was, my partner was speculating that it was the understanding of the concept of safety and calm that had been internalized and used, you know, throughout the years, allowed him to be calm in that moment allowed him to in real time connect to stories and metaphors. All this was firing in real time. In a matter of a few seconds, he did everything right because he had all these answers internalized. And I think this is a fair example of what someone will do in real time when they learn anything like negotiations or sales. It's all the answers firing and all the thoughts that have been internalized you bring it to bear real time in a conversation. And this is the difference between winning or losing in sales or in safety, landing the plane or not. And I think, you know, maybe a, a little bit long example, but I think it, it really encompasses what you've been talking about. Brian, what you said made me think about something that is quite particular. And maybe one of the reasons why employees, even leaders, in the times when there is a stress, it is difficult to access the knowledge. So you gave the example, when you were talking about the example of the pilot, so I, I was thinking, yes, when you are in a moment of stress, if you have like a manual in, in memorized in your head, it will be super difficult to access it. But if you have these big, I don't know, images, analogies in your brain, this part is not stored in the same in the same area of your brain and you can access it even in an easier way in moments of stress. Because think about it, that these companies are spending a lot of money into, uh, into changing behaviors, especially today, because they want to change cultures, but it's difficult to, to have concepts like values explained to, I don't know, to an accountant or to a marketeer or to the different uh, levels of seniority. So they need to have something relatable. and. In the, they are not going to memorize all of the behaviors that are associated with these values, or they are not going to remember, or sometimes not even understand the, the concept itself of the value, because it's, it has been written with a corporate la language that is not relatable to human beings. I'm, I'm joking, but uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I think well said, and this you know, this internalization, this use is is subtle, but it's something that can be achieved. I know you do that with your work in AQ terms, just to sort of add to what you're saying or, or paraphrase what you're saying. You know, there's um, there are analytical answers like theory and concept that you want to have an indwelling in that's mental models. You know, there's stories and metaphors, which gives you the emotional connection, which sort of, you know, you know, viscerally you connect to, 
in a way that, you know, experiences and being human that sometimes you can't even articulate. And then procedures and actions are, you know, you know, those can be processes like you're saying you can, you know, follow, but you can also internalize some of those, you know, it's like, you know, it makes me think of some of this discussion relates to, you know, the hammer in the hands of a master craftsman, the hammer becomes an extension of the hand. So in that case, we have internalized procedures and actions in a similar way, you know, with concepts like mental models, you can have embodiment, you know, where you, you, uh, no, pardon me, an indwelling, you have an indwelling in those concepts. So, you know, each of these like intellectual, emotional, practical, we can internalize, we can think about, we can use, but it's, it, you know, it's about understanding everything in combination. And again, that's why, you know, arguably Sully Sullivan landed the plane because all the answers were internalized in a way that he could activate in real time and just boom, you know, find the solution. But um, I feel like I'm opening up more doors than closing doors here with my comments. But, uh, you know, this is, it's all good stuff. So, hey, indeed, because the more you open doors, the more I am thinking about other stuff that I didn't think of to prepare this uh, this conversation and I'm learning, which is good, Brian. <laughs> um, I wanted to follow up with a question. So, it, I mean, you are quite well aware that the in the corporate world, there is human resources people and what they understand is skills to be acquired, right? And if we go back to the framework of AQ, where, what do you think are the, the um, sorry, the competencies, what are, do you think are the competencies that are the most reinforced if people start applying the AQ model? Yeah, there's really two things with AQ. One, it's the competency of communication. So this is a communication framework that operationalizes how to communicate in a way that anyone can use. And um, this sort of amplify that, you know, we have partners in London that are neuroscientists that are using AQ for uh, neurodiversity. You know, how do you, how do you communicate to neurodiverse people? How can they communicate to others? It's an operational framework and says questions and answers. Let's map it out. Let's figure out how to navigate. So one, you learn the competency of communication. The second thing you can apply related to AQ is any content knowledge can be poured into AQ. So if I want to be a leader, you know, it's important for me to know that, you know, my subordinate is going to ask me, you know, you know, uh, what is leadership? How are you going to lead me? And that's an important, the question and answer mapping, but the substantive answers matter. So what, you know, I need to identify my specific procedure to lead. And if it's my knowledge of leadership allows me to do that, and I can locate different stories and metaphors. So content matters. So to really illustrate this, imagine if you're doing consulting to entrepreneurs. Well, you know, the content of the answers matter. So if I, as a consultant, can provide a portfolio of metaphors that help locate entrepreneurship, that's going to be helpful. So for example, entrepreneur metaphors relate to things like hero. So I can explain that you're the hero of your journey and, you know, get that really, you know, to be internalized, that's going to be really powerful because if I'm consulting entrepreneurs and anyone that's been an entrepreneur knows that at times you're going to be down and out and you need to realize that you're the hero on the hero's journey and, you know, it's going to be ups and downs, but you can win. Now, if I'm a coach or consultant for entrepreneurs, 
if I can provide those kind of metaphors, the content, as well as all other, you know, answers, all six in total, then wow, I'm really conveying something. So if I had to share this, to bring this back to your, your comment about corporate training, I would tell corporate trainers to do two things. You know, one, make sure each training relates to asking and answering six questions, you know, providing the six answers to the questions. And second, pour all of your knowledge into the framework. And if you do those in combination, you can have great sessions. So I think it went a little bit further afield than, than your initial question, but let me stop there. <laughs> you know, you made me think when you were mentioning about entrepreneurs, I, I got like goosebumps because I was thinking about, you know, that probably entrepreneurs spend like one month or two months just preparing a pitch deck because they want to raise money and whatsoever. Yeah. And one of the, the key, uh, I don't know, challenges is, is about crafting this value proposition. And I, I, I'm thinking just right now, if I had the model, maybe the exercise would have been less painful for me because you cannot imagine the 200 or 300 iterations for that damn sentence, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah, related to that, you know, a key relates to any topic. So sales or value proposition, you communicate your value proposition, your pitch deck in terms of six answers. But it can even, I think, be more profound than that, if I can use that word, because if we think about a pitch deck, we often associate with the elevator pitch, right? Yeah. In, in an elevator, you know, you know, that might relate to the story, but in AQ terms, it's the, you know, which questions are they asking? So when you're in that meeting, you know, your ability to understand at any given moment, I'm responding to a why question, what question, a how question, that makes for a compelling pitch because absent understanding the questions and answers, what do you do? You just sort of robotically just go through a bunch of slides and you're not really connecting to any conversation. So if you can have these questions and answers in mind, then you can, you can wow them. And, and, and that's, you know, basically how I've uh, coached some um, to prepare for pitch decks is, you know, it's going through all the answers, being ready for the conversations, and then, and, and then you go and you do it. <laughs> um, part of your research um, includes a way to assess AQ. And by the way, I, I think that you have like a pre-version some, somehow in your website about to, for the assessment. Uh, you need to tell me a little bit more about how to access that. But my question is, how can you really measure if someone is progressing in acquiring these meta skills? Yeah, thanks, Stephen, for bringing that up. We have a, a free Explore AQ test that's uh, customized to different topics like sales and leadership. And you, you go in and take this test, and it'll give you a sense of, you know, answering questions. So there'll be a series of questions. The question is, you know, uh, what is your solution in sales? You would simply respond by which of the six answer types would you, would you respond in? Would you provide a story, a procedure, et cetera? And you go through this simple test and it's uh, in roughly a dozen questions and you get a score from zero to hundred. And there are correct answers or multiple correct answers depending on the questions. And we find on average people score about 55%. And if you learn about AQ, your score goes up. So I'd imagine those of your listeners listening to this podcast, if they've got this far, they know a lot. So their, their scores will probably be higher. So that's one thing you can do. Uh, and it's a, a simple test. 
And usually the response is after you take it, wow, that makes sense. You know, I've never thought about this before. And, and now, you know, I have, and you, you take the test and you get a 10 page PDF report. And that's a great way to start, you know, down the journey beyond that test. You know, there's other tools you can use and ways to think about improving with your ability for AQ. This is a basic level, you know, think about any important topic, like your company's value proposition. Do you have six answers at the ready? You know, if you don't, you know that you need to improve. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, there's just simple ways intuitively, you know, you need to do better. And, um, you know, so those are, you know, one test, one simple, you know, back of the napkin test you can use for yourself, such as, you know, just identifying six answers. And there's, there's ways that you can gauge where you're at and where you need to go. So you, you, you have published a book which describes the, the, the model, the framework. And it, I, I went a little bit through the summaries of, of the chapters and I saw a lot of examples, applications for different type of like industries. Let's, I don't know how to call it correctly. If you are at, uh, in learning and development, if you are a coach or if you are in selling and even in branding, Wow. Um, so it seems to me that in the book, we can find the answers, right, to, to the different type of use that we can, we can have. But at the end, we are always either branding something, selling something, being a coach. If you are a leader, you are, you are a coach, you are a mentor. Sometimes you have to teach, uh, teach people. What, what other type of applications, in fact, have you discovered that where the model beyond just learning can be that useful? Yeah, I think at a fundamental level, communication is about knowledge transfer. So this is a framework that you can use to transfer knowledge, questions and answers, you know, mechanisms to convey gaps and transfer knowledge for any important topic. So this is used when there are complex topics when there's asymmetries of knowledge where one party knows more than the other, and it relates to generally any important conversation you have. So just going through some of the, the list here, and we, we, we sort of put, you know, frame in terms of sales AQ, questions and answers in the sales conversation to close more deals, to, you know, to upsell, interview AQ, and you communicate your number one soft skill in terms of six answers, physician AQ, you know, doctors are trained in question methodologies. And from an answer standpoint, can you convey a metaphor to make a patient feel more comfortable? You know, can you convey the story that makes them feel at ease? Can you, you know, explain the concept of why they need to take this drug? Um, but it really relates to any important conversation that you may have. And there's really no limits. It's sort of similar to, you know, right now we're, we're recording this on, you know, a video conference call. And back in the day, I don't know if it was WebEx, but one of the, the, the very first platforms that, uh, you know, was doing video conferencing, they, you know, basically advertised it as a tool you could use in any conversation. And that's really what AQ is. You can use it for any important conversation and um, there really aren't any limits. It's up to you and in, in where, where, what's important to you and, and um, you know, how you want to apply your critical attention to improving. Um, we are almost at the end of this, uh, of this conversation. And 
What I wanted to highlight, and this is something that I'm going to put in my to-do list as of now, is the fact that, I, I mean, I, I want to learn more about this. So first of all, accessibility to the book that you wrote. So answer intelligence, raise, raise your AQ is available in, for me in Amazon, but I guess that you can find it in different platforms, right? I, that's correct, yeah. So that's number one in my task list. I'm going to play around with your free uh, downloadable um, um, assessment. By the way, I'm going to be putting also the links to, uh, directly to the uh, to this type of information. How can people reach you, Brian, and to ask more questions? To I mean, and to be aware, I'm pretty sure that you are doing different type of publications that sometimes people want to have like a chit chat with you. How can they reach you? Yeah, the uh, the best way is two ways go to go to the website raiseyouraq.com and there's a contact form you can fill that out or you can reach me at linkedin uh, i'm the only brian glibkowski in the world so you just search for my name and direct message me i'd be happy to chat with anyone that's interested in aq and can uh, provide you more uh, resources or whatever you'd like to to help you so those are two ways to reach me that's great. Brian, I, I just thought about a, a question. <clears throat> so you remember that I, I'm always coming back to the point that it is super difficult to 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 change the the, the way we learn. Um, and that comes also, I mean, we see it in the education, higher higher education. It stays almost the same. That is, is there a lot of friction with professors saying, hey, if I use the model, I'm not saying exactly the truth because, I mean, intellectuals have this problem that sometimes they feel like if they use an analogy, they are bastardizing the reality. And then they, they give you like the complex answer that nobody understands. Do you have this type of feelings? Yeah, I think a good way to think about this is in AQ terms, we have our preferences for answer types. So in my book on uh, branding, you know, advertising agencies love stories, for example. In my prior reference to the aviation industry, they actually tend to focus on procedures. So for example, a, um, in Germany, um, you know, military pilots, don't quote me in the exacts of this, they have manuals that are about 500 pages. Commercial airline pilots in Germany have manuals that are about 2,000 pages. So they're highly indexed on procedures. As a professor, I'm, I was highly focused on theory. So my point is, we, we provide answers in the answer types we prefer. So, you know, that overly intellectual theory, you know, the professor may go there. Or the salesperson that loves stories goes there. Or the aviation person goes to the procedures. So I think an important thing to do is, you know, raise awareness that there are different questions being asked. And if someone says, how do you do something? You don't answer that with a story. That's a different type of question. So raising awareness on which questions are being asked. And then going back to something we said before, just to double down on that, start to transform your answers. If you're always providing a story, transform it into a procedure. And just to punctuate this about question and answer sort of recognition, Let's do like one a thought experiment. Imagine if you're going to the convenience store, even okay, and you have a question for the convenience store clerk. How do I find the candy bar? 
Yeah. You're looking for an AQ terms of procedural answer. And the convenience store clerk should say, go down aisle two, take a left, bottom shelf, candy bar. Okay. That's a how question with a procedural answer. Perfect. Now imagine if the convenience store clerk, instead of answering with a procedure, answered with a story about Mars candy bars. Let me tell you about Mars candy bars and the history of Mars candy bars. You would most likely be frustrated. Um, that illustrates the point. If people are asking a how question, provide the right type of answer, and it's sort of, you know, just being focused and aware. And if we start to raise our awareness, we can change. So, so that's my response. And uh, unfortunately, with AQ, I'm a coach, not a player. I, I know a lot about AQ, but others can communicate more concisely. I, you know, I, I tend to go in all kinds of directions, but that's not a limitation of the framework. It's more of a limitation of me as a communicator, but I'll stop there. Brian, the, as you are currently, you are still currently, I think, a professor in university. Do you see, have you seen the change, the impact that you have got in, in, into the students that are following you? Uh, what yeah, and actually, yeah, my, my, yeah, my, just to clarify, my full-time role as professor, I've stepped down to focus on AQ, but I still teach in yeah. various schools, including, uh, you know, Imperial College of London, AQ. I'll give you an example of how AQ has had an impact in the university setting. Um, at Imperial College of London, uh, I teach a, in the executive uh, sort of virtual leadership, uh, you know, um, curriculum, they have a module on AQ. One of the students was a product manager at a global company, and he learned about AQ. Six months later, he, he conducted his own AQ webinar for other, other product managers, had over 80 people attend. He's using it as his company and doing all kinds of things because this is a framework he found so useful, he wanted to share with others. And his application was basically in product management terms is to think about a product in terms of six questions and answers. And when he did that, it opened it up so he could be more influential. Without AQ, you have product managers that focus on just procedures or maybe told a good story. They didn't put all the pieces together. And when he did, he was able to be more influential. So I think that's the best testimonial we could have sort of so far about AQ is people are using it and having profound impacts on their ability to influence others. Thank you for sharing that story, Brian. Brian, it was lovely to have you today. I, I think that we have an opportunity still to continue talking a little bit more about AQ because you got me interested. Thank you very much, Brian. I wish you an excellent day. Thank you. Thank you, Ivan. I've enjoyed it immensely. Great questions. And, um, and, and I've, I feel like I've, uh, I'm looking forward to our continued conversation as well. So thank you.